this time, we'd uh, like to invite uh, Kirby, if you would uh, come up here just for a few minutes. And we want to give a few minutes to an open uh, mic once again, in case uh, there are uh, lingering questions. Anything's fair game. Come into our small groups. Are there any questions that you might have? And if so, Over there. We, we'd be happy to answer. Um, um, I have a disclose. I'm a political junkie. <laughs> so, and then I, when I, con, you know, when I uh, communicate with my brothers and sister and ask them um, why they would vote for any Democrat um, president. <laughs> and especially in the Chinese, cult, um, the Chinese background culture, they say because Bush uh, took us to war. Yeah. I think um, we, as a Christian, we need to have proper perspective about the war. Otherwise, you know, we, we lose every battle, every time. So, you want me to talk about the war? Or, or? <laughs> my, my question is, how, how is our um, as a question, our perspective oh, okay. about the war. Do you think okay. we should hold that off until tonight? Would that be <laughs> better? I can give because a short answer now. A... It's, it's so funny that you're asking that because one of the radio programs we just taped was on the idea of just war theory. And I do have some of that in my book, but one of our guys actually did his master's degree on it. And I taped it and our um, producer says, well, maybe it's a little too academic, but I know this is a smart audience, so let me go through it real quickly. And that is, you know, really Christians over the years have had to try to think about war until Christians served in the military it was no big deal and in the first century the second century but by the time of Constantine where all of a sudden Christianity became um, something that an average citizen might actually be able to practice and be part of society that's when they started thinking about that so first Augustine and later, later Aquinas began to say okay what are the criteria that you would use to go to war and there are seven five of which you would use before you go to war two once you conduct war and the first obvious one is that you only go to war as a last resort if there are no other means now there have been some that have said well the best example of that would be World War II because obviously we were struck at Pearl Harbor and so we came into war there but the argument that was made at the time whether it was right or wrong was the best information we had that both President Bush and Colin Powell who was the Secretary of State argued that Saddam Hussein is about ready to get nuclear weapons he has got weapons of mass destruction he poses a very significant threat so that's why we go to war if you want to look at Afghanistan that argument could be that we want to find Osama bin Laden which we didn't but at the time the argument was that we would want to go in and our last resort was the series of especially in Iraq various UN um, resolutions that had been put forward constantly but never were acted upon and so the argument was whether you agree with it or not was that this was of last resort um, the, the other arguments that have always been made for just war or is that it needs to be a legitimate body individuals militia can't just start a war uh, we have a, an organization 
nation called the government of the United States and governments go against other governments but of course that changes a little bit in our um, terrorist actions when you don't necessarily have a head of state you have Al-Qaeda or you have Hezbollah or Hamas that are actually uh, bringing war so that's become more confusing in this modern world but again there are some reasonable criteria that we would use and I think you could make a case that it might have been justifiable just from the idea of a just war but then when you conduct war there's a couple of others one is the issue of non-combatants that we would try to have non-combatant immunity and so there was a lot of evidence to suggest that the military worked as hard as it could to try to limit and minimize the number of civilian casualties where on the other side the terrorists and the terrorists would actually try to maximize the number of civilian casualties and uh, then the, also that there would be appropriate means you wouldn't nuke a place you know you wouldn't use nuclear war when ground troops would be effective uh, you and so those are some different kinds of things a bullet if a bullet is sufficient don't use a bomb those kinds of arguments so those are some things that Christians have thought about in terms of just war it doesn't necessarily resolve that because you have Christians that can use the criteria to argue against going to war just as easily as you can use them to argue for it. So I think it is much easier when you talk about a just war to talk about World War II. By the time you get to the Korean War, the Vietnam War, Desert Storm, I think it gets a lot grayer. So I, I don't have a great answer for that, but at least we do have some ways to think about that as Christians. And uh, it's interesting that you brought that up because I suspect when this radio program does get finally edited right, it's going to be one of the more controversial ones that we've actually had on radio. So let's take another question here. I think we had some other hands up. Another hand? No, I guess no. I didn't. I thought I saw his hands. Okay. Uh, this morning you had one comment where in media where the mind drives the heart. But does the heart not also drive the mind, i.e. salvation? Very much so. And I think that is true because it's, it's not a, a one-way direction at all. For example, oftentimes your heart is inhibited by something that's in your mind. I've said before the value of apologetics is, is the heart cannot accept what the mind rejects. So there's a good example there. But there are other examples where oftentimes because of your heart, you know, people sometimes come to a conclusion and then find intellectual reasons for why they came to that conclusion. In other words, we all know that that is the case. But certainly in the gospel, let's come back to that issue, I think that the primary emphasis is to really reach a person's heart mind emotions and oftentimes what we do is we maybe forget one aspect I see some emotional gospel appeals that only focus on the emotions and the heart but they leave the mind I've seen some that have sort of an intellectual approach that somehow sort of suggests that you can only lead a person to Christ by intellectual arguments and that is not the case but I do believe that there is a place between the heart and mind in which our minds can be an important issue when you talk about the gospel, I've found some people that will use intellectual arguments to keep them from making a decision. It's amazing how when you confront a um, high school boy that uh, maybe is not following the Lord, probably is a nice way to say it, in terms of some of his activities, all of a sudden he gets real concerned about the pagans in Africa, you know, because he really doesn't want to confront the gospel. And so those are examples where you have intellectual excuses, which I think keep people from becoming Christians, but they're just excuses. 
excuses. But other times I run into people that have honest intellectual problems. They say, how can I really trust my Bible? How can I really know that God is there? What about evil in the world? And so I think we try to provide answers knowing that all we're really doing is creating a climate in which the Holy Spirit can work. I kind of talked around that one, but hopefully it hit something that was right. Since you gave that last response, um, go back to the point you were raising about the virtual community. We have always sort of created our own virtual world without the media. Uh, We just sort of think the world is the way I want it to be rather than the way it really is. Have there been any studies related to that issue? because when you deal with a virtual world, oh, uh, I see the fires, forest fires in Texas. See the houses burn down. That's terrible. I pray for those per- people, but I don't know them. Yeah. Well, I used to fight forest fires. I've seen the damage. I've been in the... Yeah. And it's very different because now you're dealing with the real world. Right. Do they do any studies regarding that? They really have. That's something that's very interesting. I haven't talked much about virtual reality games and also just the virtual world we create because I think it's best illustrated if you've ever had a child that sometimes they'll see something and they'll say, hey, that's just like on TV, which is sort of a way of saying, well, TV's the reality and the world's supposed to mimic it. And although we laugh at that, we all do, as you said, create our own virtual world. And you have to even go all the way back to the first century. Paul talks about that I see through a glass darkly, but then I will see face to face. I mean, all of us perceive the world through our own worldview, through our own worldview lens. And some of us live in worlds that are very different than reality. We actually institutionalize some people that live in very different worlds than reality, right? So we recognize that there's sort of a spectrum here. We recognize people over here, they live in this fantasy world. They live in this world that, uh, where they're schizophrenic, maybe, and they don't even understand the world. And hopefully we have a reality that is closer to the one that God sees. And I think that's part of Christian growth, that we really need to have an ability to see the world through God's eyes, to think God's thoughts after him, as one famous physicist put it. And so that's an ability to see the world truly. And it also gets back to this question about the gospel. Because I do believe that we live, and this gets into my book on spiritual warfare, we live in a world where there's a phenomenal amount of spiritual deception. And if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody, and you give a very clear presentation of the gospel, and it's like you're talking to a brick wall or through a veil... It's because there's a veil there. There's a phenomenal amount, a very significant amount of spiritual deception that people have because they don't see the world clearly. They don't see their sins clearly. They don't see the world clearly. And back to the studies, yeah, there's been some great ones that have come out of like Wheaton College and others that understand how people are resistant to the gospel because they don't see some of the fundamental needs in their life. We all uh, are able to sort of protect ourselves. In a culture today, we actually have what they call cultural 
cultural inversion. Um, it was it Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the senator from New York, who later was replaced by Hillary Clinton, actually wrote a piece called Defining Deviancy Down. And his argument was is that when we see so much sin in the world, crime and dysfunction, we just say, well, it's not so bad after all. We sort of define deviancy down. And in, in Isaiah, it talks about that. Those people that would call evil good, right? A few years later, Charles Grettamer wrote a piece in which he talked about defining deviancy up. It's not only that we call evil good, but we also call good evil. We make fun of abstinence, chastity, integrity, honesty, uh, fidelity. And so I think we do live in a world where we do live in this sort of self-created virtual world. And if indeed Satan is the prince of the power of the air, I think a lot of that self-created virtual world is actually spiritual deception, which I think makes it difficult for the gospel. We all know when we've talked to people about the gospel, haven't you? I mean, I think I've always had these experiences where I might as well be talking to that wall. I'm just not getting through to these people at all. And maybe I'm just a bad communicator about the gospel, but I don't think so. I think it just has to do with some of that spiritual deception, which brings us back to the need for prayer. You know, ultimately, we need to pray before and even pray while we are talking to people. And I've shared before, Suzanne's heard me talk about this one guy I was talking to at a half-price books. And as he was talking, I was listening, but mostly I was just praying because I was saying, this man, has got, he, he lives in such a different world. He might as well come from the planet Mars because he, does, he perceives the world so differently. And the uh, you know, words mean nothing to him. And I used some illustrations to try to help him understand that he had created this own sort of virtual world that made him almost impregnable to the gospel, you know, made it almost impossible for the gospel message to get through. And at that point... You know, I think that's a matter of prayer and fasting because all my words weren't going to make much difference. But I did my best to plant that little rock in his foot so that maybe his virtual world didn't completely line up and maybe caused him to think about how he would accept the gospel later on. I've never seen him since. I'd like to think that somewhere along the line he accepted the Lord because his view of what uh, the Bible is and what Jesus is and what salvation is and what uh, spirituality is was so different than obviously what God's word is. Do we have time, or are we just about out of time here? I think we have time. Mm-hmm. Don't want to take. I know long. in our small group we came up with a question. Okay. Or there was an issue regarding yoga. Sure. Uh, some churches have. Uh, you see them all the time uh-huh. on these group bonds or Living Social or Amazon.com coupons, and uh-huh. they're always advertising these things. And some churches have adopted yoga classes into their church buildings, etc. Can you comment on? I that? certainly can. First of all, on our website, uh, probe.org, uh, Michael Gleghorn, who is uh, getting his doctorate at Dallas Seminary, did one on yoga. And I think you can honestly say that whether you look at martial arts or yoga, it is theoretically possible to separate the exercises from the philosophy. Matter of fact, we have a program that's coming out just shortly. Uh, Lawrence Terlizzi already has a PhD from Dallas Seminary. He's now getting a second PhD. These guys, you know, they don't learn it the first time, I guess. I don't know what it is. And his is on martial arts, and he points out that a lot of people have trouble with martial arts because it's been so infused with Buddhist thought. But if you look at it, some of the martial arts practices precede the time of uh, Buddhism coming to the places where it was practiced, and he documents all of that. So it is theoretically, it was theoretically possible to separate it. But here's the trick. Um, If you have been involved in Eastern practice, I've had one person on my radio program that says, you know, I used to be a yoga instructor. I've become a Christian now. I speak on the New Age movement. My wife does yoga, but I don't because it would be such a stumbling block for me. So I can recognize there might be some times to not do it. But uh, you can certainly 
do the exercises, I believe, in a way that disconnects from the spiritual aspect of Buddhism or any other kind of Eastern religion. But oftentimes it's taught where the two are put together in terms of the breathing exercises and everything. Now the theory behind yoga is that you have these psychic power points running from the base of your spine to your forehead. And each one of those you want to liberate the serpent energy in there and release that uh, power in that particular chakra. Well, again, if you're getting involved in the Eastern aspects of that, I think you've got some very real concerns. But in terms of the kind of postures and exercises, a lot of people find that it's very helpful. So I think it is possible to disconnect if you want to connect, disconnect it. But I think it would still cause you to want to be somewhat discerning about the, the, the teacher, the context, whether they're trying to open your mind to spiritual entities and things like that. Those would be areas of danger. But if you'd like to read our radio program, I think um, Michael did a very good job of kind of interviewing and pulling together various people that have written on that subject of yoga. And uh, so if that's something of real concern, go to probe.org. We've got a search engine. You type yoga and you'll see all sorts of things pop up that you can read and evaluate. And if you disagree with any of it, we have a place where you can respond by email to anything that we've said. And I guess we're going over to here. Oh, there. Here we go. Yes, do you have a... um I know how it is just trying, uh, maybe for parents or even youth pastors, trying to stay connected with a lot of the, uh, the media, the movies, the things that are out there, um, but we either don't have time or we don't want to watch all of that. Do you know of maybe some resources or websites maybe parents can go to to at least see, uh, you know, from a Christian perspective, okay, what, what is this movie about and why, why shouldn't I let my children watch this TV show or movie or it, or is this one okay or that kind of thing where parents can kind of stay connected and understand what's going on but they don't necessarily have to you know they don't have the time or want to watch all sure. that kind of stuff sure. well the good news is for those of you that have a pen write down movieguide.org movieguide is a subscription you can receive but you can just go on the website and get it for free and um, I just mentioned a person I was with before Ted Bear who is the uh, founder not only of the Christian uh, Film and Television Commission but also of Movie Guide and um, he's matter of fact it's going to be on Jim Thompson this week I understand and Ted has done I think a very good job with Movie Guide there's some others focus on the family by the way has one there's a couple of others but I'll just mention movieguide.org because what it does is it looks at four different areas first of all it looks at you know sex and violence and profanity those issues and it gives you a rating there then it looks at the worldview issues because sometimes you can have something that is pretty innocuous like some of these children's animated cartoons but is giving you a heavy dose of pantheism so on the one hand it could be a positive in terms of there's nothing really objectionable but in terms of the worldview it might or there might be the other example where it's giving you a Christian worldview but it has some language that you might want to know about because I think we all I think have come to the conclusion that these movie ratings aren't worth a whole lot right PG can be pretty good or pretty gross, you know, so you can uh, recognize that's not the case. So it gives you a number of standards, first of all, and then it also rates it in terms of its entertainment value. And if it has four stars, that means it's really pretty good. I like Dolphin's Fins just coming out right now, which has got a Christian theme to it, a phenomenal Christian theme, given the fact that Morgan Freeman plays a Christian and a pastor, and the man's a Buddhist. But anyway, he plays a Christian better than a Christian would in that movie, Dolphin's Fin, which is a story about a dolphin that loses its fin. He's the veteran that creates that fin and this dolphin still lives in uh, Clearwater so it's just a, you know that's a good example of that 
And so you have uh, the rating on how good it is in terms of production values, then various ratings on, and they'll, they'll even count up the number of things in which you have profanity and all the rest in there. So that before you go into a movie house, and we've all had that experience, haven't we? We've been there, and then we start seeing some things on the screen that can turn you into a pillar of salt. You're trying to figure out, do I cover my kids' eyes or we leave the theater or whatever? That, I think, would give you a pretty good rating. So movieguide.org. They also do that for a number of different television programs because there's a real push right now, mostly coming from Walmart, to actually put money into family-oriented films that most of the time they'll put on like the Hallmark Channel or other places because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, family-friendly Walmart goes... Wait a minute, you know, if we have a family-friendly program that people tune to, we put our commercials there, that's where we want. We really don't want our commercials next to some of this junk because it actually has a bleed-over effect and is probably not something that's really very positive. So they also identify various television programs, specials and things like that. They obviously don't rate every TV program, but they do give you a little bit of an idea of things that are worth you spending your money on. And then they also come back and rate as some of the films go to DVD, which ones might be things that you would want to have in your family collection. And that's the good news now. It used to be when we were growing up, it's either on TV or you turn the TV off. Now, you know, if there's nothing good on TV, there's a lot of great DVDs out there. Now, I think the 17th showing of VeggieTales might be too much, but, you know, that's another story. But I think there are just a lot of things that are out there now as helps to families. And certainly Ted Bears and Movie Guide would be one of those. Books or literature? Um, there are a couple of Christian magazines. Um, um, I'm just blanking, you know. After two days, I'm starting to not have every one of my brain cells working. Um, I think it's called Books and Culture. does ratings of all sorts of different kinds of books. Of course, Focus on the Family sometimes identifies some of those that you would certainly want to be able to find in Family Guide. Um, Trying to think of a few others that would do that. Uh, one that I would highly recommend would be World Magazine. If you had to buy one Christian magazine that really would help you understand news and issues, World Magazine, which is out of Asheville, North Carolina. The publisher is Joel Belts. The editor is Marvin Olasky, who used to be at University of Texas and then for a while was the chancellor of uh, King's College in New York. And World Magazine is kind of like a Christian Newsweek. And so there they do a uh, Valuations of movies and books and things of that nature. So that would be another resource. Of course, a standard one for mo- most of us in ministry would be Christianity Today. But uh, there are just a couple of different uh, resources that would help you understand what really good books are. But World Magazine might be a good one to consider.